Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. This evening, our community is profoundly honored to receive a visit from Governor Kathy Hochul. The 57th and first female governor of New York State. These past few months, and I'll return to this topic, at rally after rally following the vicious attacks of October 7th, I've heard the governor speak with passion and clarity and solidarity with the Jewish people. To welcome the governor to address us this Shabbat in this sanctuary is an honor that neither I nor anyone present will ever forget. Honored as we are, Governor, to have you address us this evening, I need to tell you that this is not the first time that the Israelites received a solidarity visit from a non-Jew more familiar with priests than rabbis. The first time that happened was actually in this week's Torah reading, the story of Jethro, the high priest of Midian. The Israelites, excuse me, had just escaped from their Egyptian oppressors. They just battled their foe Amalek. They faced an uncertain journey ahead. They were wary, they were broken, and there was still a long, long way to travel. And it is in that moment, when everything was hanging in the balance, that Jethro appears, the first example of allyship to the Jewish people. The Bible states that Moses recounted all the hardships that had befallen Israel to Jethro. And then the text says, Vayichad Yitro, and Jethro stood in solidarity. Vayichad, the same as the Hebrew word echad, meaning one. Jethro found common cause with Israel and blessed them. Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the hands of your oppressors. It shouldn't be lost on any of us that it was at that moment when the chips were down that it was Jethro's presence, the allyship from this leader outside of the tribe who bestowed a blessing of comfort upon Israel. There would still be battles to fight. There would still be ups and downs in the wilderness ahead. But it was at that moment that Israel knew that they were not alone. They knew that someone had their back. Someone stood in solidarity with them, in word and in deed, lifting their spirits so they could face another day. Like the Israelites of old, our people are in the midst of our wilderness travail. The attacks of October 7th, the continued war against the modern-day Amalek, the Hamas terrorists who hold Israeli lives hostage, and for that matter, the Palestinian people. A surge in global anti-Semitism online, on campuses, and on our streets right here in our great state of New York. The voices of those who would deny Israel the right to self-defense and self-determination and turn a blind eye to the noxious rise 
of Jew hatred. And in this moment, we see who our friends are and who are not. Who are the upstanders and who are the bystanders and enablers of hatred? With the turning of the calendar, we see the coming of an election season. Now is the time to make sure our friends feel our support and those who are not our friends wish that they were. Allyship means standing by those who stand by you in good times and in tough times. And in that spirit, I want to thank the allies of the Jewish people who are here this evening. Some of you are actually Jews, not of the priestly class, but we still count on your support all the same. So to New York City Council Member uh, Julie Menon, we thank you for being here this evening. <laughs> to New York State Assembly Members Rebecca Seawright and Alex Boris, we thank you for being here this evening. To New York State Senator, we welcomed you before. It's always good to see you, Liz Kruger. It's great to have you here this evening. And first among equals is the governor of our great state, Kathy Hochul. The governor was the first elected official to visit Kfar Aza, where many of us visited that same day when President Biden was in Israel. The governor was not only meeting regularly and continues to meet regularly with hostage families, but has convened a bipartisan congressional delegation with hostage families to ensure state and federal cooperation. The governor is the leader, the leader, of a bipartisan coalition to stand in solidarity with Israel, issuing statement after statement condemning the Hamas terror attacks in the strongest possible terms. Here at home, the governor has made clear that calls for genocide of the Jewish people is a violation of New York and federal law. The governor tapped Judge Lippman to launch a comprehensive review of anti-Semitism and anti-discrimination policies at all CUNY campuses, as well as signing legislation to strengthen hate crime investigation on our campuses. And I should note that the governor's attention to issues of concern to our community long preceded October 7th, a longtime advocate of Holocaust education, Holocaust reparations, and beyond. I could go on but you're here to hear her, not me. So I'll get to the point. Friends, if you wanna know what an ally to Israel looks like, if you want to know what an ally to the Jewish people looks like, you need look no further than our governor, Kathy Hochul. We have stood side by side, sometimes literally these past months, you have stood by our community in all ways, and we stand by you. As Jethro blessed Israel, today we bless you, that you should be granted strength and success in all your endeavors, that you should lead our great state knowing the gratitude and the support of our Jewish community, and most of all, that we should all see that day, please God soon, when the hostages are released, that peace should come, and that all people should treat each other as befitting a humanity created in the image of our shared God and creator. Please join me in welcoming our governor, Kathy Hochul. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Cosgrove. I've never been called Jethro before, but I'll accept that. Uh, 
And the meaning behind those words are so touching. And I accept the blessing with gratitude for in our positions, we often need to know that there's a person who's looking out for us. And I believed and was raised in the faith of a Judeo-Christian heritage and a strong belief in the teachings of the Old Testament and for me, the New Testament. And so I come here as someone who has a strong sense of affinity with the Jewish people that the seeds of which were planted when I was a child and my parents took us to every interfaith celebration there was. Uh, we celebrated Passover and Hanukkah and made sure that, you know, they made sure their children uh, who were raised as social justice Catholics back in the 1960s uh, understood who we stood with at that time. And so I just honor my parents uh, at this time by also carrying on the tradition they had of, of uh, showing a solidarity. I also want to thank Rabbi Shana uh, Zazmir. I want to thank her and Cantor Ozzie Schwartz, uh, former Chairman Alan Levine, who I just saw at a dinner recently, and I thank him for his support and what he's done for the legal community as well. And uh, our President, Lizzie Nahas, Marhas, and of course, Chairman Mark First. You know, I know this congregation has stood up in countless ways since October 7th, and I want to thank you for that. And this is a time when it matters who stands up, and it matters who shows up, and it matters who goes once again as a delegation to give comfort to the people of Israel. And that was really what was the foundation of why I went. Yes, I'm the proud governor of the largest Jewish population outside of Israel. I brag about it all the time. But I also knew that I had to get on a plane as soon as the security forces would allow me to come. And literally, President Biden was taking off and I was landing at Tel Aviv. I had to wait till he departed. And you may have heard this, but I also, upon arrival, learned that my father had suffered a brain hemorrhage during the night and he passed a few hours later. But I want to share with you what he said to me because I'm still his little girl and I called him the night before and I wasn't sure I should call dad from JFK. I was in the terminal, I was ready to go. And I said, I'll be back in two days. So I tell dad, he's, you know, dad's great. He just went to the doctor that day. He said he's gonna live forever. And so dad's good, he's my friend and talk to him all the time. But I wanna make him worry about me or am I gonna, you know, I'm going into a war zone and maybe I should just let him be in peace. And something told me to pick up the phone at 11 o'clock at night and call my dad. And he said, I said, dad, I'm going to Israel. And he says, he reminded me that he wanted to go there for his 80th birthday. He did celebrate there. And he says, Dolly, always call me Dolly. Dolly, I'm proud of you, but keep your goddamn head down. <laughs> so that was my dad. And I treasure his final words to me, not knowing that they'd be the last. I looked forward to coming back and telling him about my experience. And it wasn't meant to be. And I landed... And of course, my staff looking out for me said, well, we'll get you on the next plane back. You, know, you lost your father. And I said, no, I can't help my father now, but perhaps I can help some healing with the people of Israel. So I stayed. And I have to tell you that word spread quickly about what had happened. And when I went to the wall with the message that I was prepared to give on behalf of the hostages, the families, the those whose lives were lost on that horrible, horrible day. I also slipped in a message about my father, and people were coming to comfort me. So you think about Jethro and the message of trying to help the oppressed and help those who 
need help at that time. I took more comfort from the people of Israel in my time of sorrow than I felt I was even able to give them. It was an, an incredible experience. And I want you to know that that touched my soul. So I went on to my duties. We went to a place that had become a makeshift camp, a sort of rundown hotel. And this is where the displaced families from Kafaraza were. And they took me to a room where I had a chance to meet the families. Some were waiting word of a hostage member of their family. Some had already lost them. And I just sat there in this circle, quiet, listening to their stories about their loved ones. One gentleman about my age told me that he wasn't home at the time because he had gone to San Francisco to greet a brand new, a brand new grandbaby. And I have a little grandbaby too, so we talked about that. But his wife couldn't go because she wasn't feeling well, and his wife was found wrapped in the arms of their son who had stayed to watch her. And the strength that he conveyed that story to me, and all I could do was hug him and cry with him, but I said, how could he even stand here and tell me this? I mean, if that happened to my beloved husband of 40 years, I, I don't know that I'd have the strength to even be there. So I took strength from so many people as well. It was, it was incredible. I also met this very handsome young man who told me that his wife and three daughters were taken that morning. And also you saw the story because it played out in the national news. A little four-year-old girl whose own parents had been killed wandered down the street and went to her friend's house. And she was also kidnapped. She was released just a few weeks ago. And her story captivated all of us. How dare you? How dare you? take these innocent children and women. And I went to Kafaraza the next day. Um, I'll tell you, honestly, I'll never be the same. What I saw in the rubble, homes that have been created for people that were so peace-loving. This community had people that were raising money every week to send over to the children of Gaza. Every year on this one day, there was one family that used to fly colorful kites over in Gaza as a sign of peace and friendship. It was their tradition to do it at four o'clock every year on this day. And I saw those kites when I walked into this home that was so beaten, blood-stained walls and just rubble everywhere. Those kites were in a pool of blood. That's an image I can't get out of my head that people were trying so hard to live a peaceful life, a life of love, the way they were taught, and the way it was returned was a death and cruelty and barbarism. And I also saw the rooms where horrible things happened to women, and they were described to me, and I don't want to talk about them here. Um, I still can't touch the shoes that I wore walking through those places. It still has the smell of death. So I'm affected by it, but I knew I had to go because I had to be a voice and come back and say what I saw with my own eyes. And you cannot believe me if you choose to, because there are people who think I probably made this all up. But it was so real, and it still lives with me today, that I feel I must continue to use my voice as the governor of the state of New York to call out this injustice, to call out the cruelty, 
And to say at this time, why aren't we talking about the hostages every single day the way we do in a place like this? Why isn't that on the evening news? Now, most of you look really much too young to remember this. But 1979, the Iranian hostage crisis, did you not see every single night on the news, day 54, day 100, day 400, the whole world and our country was talking about the people, Americans who were taken. What about the Americans who are sitting somewhere trying to figure out if they're going to live to see the next day, captives, as well as the hundred others? Where's the outrage, my friends? Where's the outrage? Where's the outrage about what happened to those women? How can women's groups in our own state and our own country not be out there marching and protesting, saying, how dare you abuse these innocent women the way you did? My other question is, where are the allies? Where are the Jethro's of our time? Where are the people who stand together? Because the Jewish people have been there through every cause that mattered. You know, we just started Black History Month. I've heard Reverend Al Sharpton talk about this on national television. He said, it was the Jewish people who marched shoulder to shoulder in the freedom rides going down south and protesting and standing up for civil rights in the 1960s. The Jewish people have been there through the LGBTQ battles. They were there when calling out Asian hate during the pandemic. There during the George Floyd protests. Every cause, allies have come together. As this rise in anti-Semitism is so out of control and so deeply rooted beyond what I ever could have imagined. I'm saying, where are the allies now? I don't say this to make you feel worse than you do. I really don't. And there's a part of me I... I told Alan, I'm not even sure I should describe what I saw because it just, I can share it. I'm strong, but I don't want anyone to feel that they're reopening the wounds. There's starting to be some healing. But we must continue to talk about this because Israel has a right to defend itself and it is getting tough out there. And I know no one wants any innocent life lost. Never. But even St. Augustine in my teaching, said there is just war. There are times you can defend yourselves. And if Israel doesn't continue to root out Hamas, they've already said they'll come back. They've told us that we don't have to guess or speculate. They have announced that they will be back because they don't revere life the way we do. They have no sense of the values that are inscribed in all of us from our teachings. And so, I've fought, I've went over, I spoke, and I come back to my own state and I see the largest increase in anti-Semitism in its history. College campuses on fire. People not understanding at all the history of oppression. Not even understanding the Holocaust. And in New York State, it's required to be taught in our schools. I did an event on this in September. So is this being taught in our schools? Can someone prove to me that it is? Yes, it's on the books. You're supposed to. But I don't remember my kids coming back from school telling me they learned about the Holocaust. They had to learn that from us. 
So I raised that then. But even now more than ever, what is happening on our college campuses caused me back in September to ask Jonathan Lippman, revered jurist, former chief judge of the Court of Appeals. I said, Jonathan, you've got to help me with this. Investigate what's going on in our college campuses. Start with CUNY. And I just met him a couple days ago. He has over 40 attorneys working pro bono to help us figure this out. I am grateful for people like Alan Lippman, Jonathan Lippman. What else can we do? You may have seen this as well. I had to leave when I returned to go bury my father in Florida. I arrived late at night, got a message that there had been a horrific posting on social media on Cornell's campus. And the Cornell students, and this is a bucolic little community, it's so isolated from the rest of the world. But yet hate had penetrated those ivory walls. And there was a message that said, follow Jewish students home and slit their throats. I just got back from a funeral and I said, I called up the president of Cornell and I said, I'll see you in the morning. I'm coming there. I'm going to sit with you and those students who must be terrorized and their parents and the aunts and uncles all worried now about their child who just went off to get a college degree who's now being threatened only because they're Jewish. In America, in New York State, in 2022, 24, 23. And what year is it? I'm so... <laughs> I just seen it. That was to see if you're paying attention. It actually happened in 2023. We're now in 2024. And I went the next morning. I went to the Center for... Jewish living, gather these young people. And I said, I'm your governor. I'm going to protect you. What do you need? And these kids said, well, we want more security cameras. And I knew there's all sorts of RFPs and protocols and procurement. And I said, you want a security camera? I'll run down to Hope Depot and get you run right now. Because huh. I want to make sure those kids felt safe. We got them the money. I'm going to continue bringing money to this. And I want to thank my members of the legislature who are here today, Liz Kruger, our senator, Rebecca Seawright, a slime member, slime member Alex Boris and Julie Menon, our council member. They are standing with me to make sure we have the resources to protect our citizens here on campuses, in synagogues, in cultural centers, wherever people feel threatened. We increased it from $25 million to $35 million. We also are adding more offenses under what is defined as a hate crime and made sure that hate crimes are bail eligible. That had not been the case. We changed the law to make sure that hate crimes are bail eligible. But of the offenses right now, if someone, one individual assaults someone and screams, I don't want to say what they would scream, but anti-Semitic slurs, they can be charged with a hate crime. But if a gang of people did it at the same time, that's not eligible for hate crime. And we're going to fix those laws. I want everybody to know that the law is on our side. We protect our citizens. And I'll make sure that that happens. So we're continuing to focus on this. And I just wish I could take away the stress, the anxiety of all of you, those of you who have loved ones in harm's way, all the young people who are fighting over there, the hostage families. I took a picture of Omer Nutra, young man whose family, he grew up on Long Island. 
I handed that picture to the prime minister. I handed it to the president. I handed it to the foreign defense minister. I want this young man brought home. He's one of ours. Help us. Help us find him. So I wish I could give you more than words. I'll put resources behind this. I'll put the weight of my office behind this. I'll continue to say that it's not allowed to call for genocide on a college campus. I sent a letter to every single college president and said this violates New York State's human rights law. It violates Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. It violates New York State human rights law. And I just thought, just in case these pro college presidents didn't remember that, I sent them a letter to remind them. So, so I'm continuing to find every way I can to address this crisis because what I want for our people is to have that sense of, of normalcy, of calm, of not feeling under siege, not feeling under threat, because you deserve that. You deserve that. And we will bring our hostages home. We have to bring them home. That is job number one, to reunite them with their families. And I think about what was said in the Talmud. Whoever saves one life saves the whole world. We need to save their lives. It's up to us to continue bringing that pressure to bear on our government and others who have the power to intercede and bring back our hostages. Bring them home. Bring them home. So the status quo is not acceptable to this governor. Our moral compass may be broken right now, but we'll heal this. One thing I know about the Jewish people, they are strong, they are resilient, they are defiant. And I will stand with you in that defiance to stand up against all this evil and hatred that is out there lurking. Because the way I look at it, there's far more people who've been subjected to hate crimes and oppression, and they should all be banded together, not divided, banded together against the forces of hate in our state. That's how we conquer hate. That's how we bring light to darkness. And that's what we do in the great state of New York. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.